You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. One of my favorite things about creating this podcast is it helps me expand my horizons. Creating podcast is not about building an audience. It's about building a community. During my Arts Madness tournament this year, I shared some of the things students around the U.S. have been saying about their chosen artists and artworks. Today's guest wrote me a kind email after I gave a shout-out to one of her students, and it made my day. I decided to invite her to be my guest, and I am so glad I did, because she suggested an artist I had not yet learned much about. While I was disappointed with the mic issues I had in the recording with this episode, I still had a great time because I got to meet a new person from thousands of miles away who helped me to learn about the amazing and inspiring Alma Thomas. Feel like who art ed? Who art ed? Mr. Wood art ed me. Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts in an audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and joining me today, I have the art teacher from Coachella Valley High School out in California, Bridget McCarthy. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I am excited too. One of my favorite things is getting to meet and talk to people from all different parts of the country and sometimes even from other countries. It's, it's kind of the cool, joyful thing of this podcast, getting to meet new people and, and learn from new people. Um, And you brought this one to me today. You said one of your favorite artists, because I always ask like, who do you like to, to talk about? We've got, Alma Woodsy Thomas. Um, So Thomas was born September 22nd, 1891 in Columbus, Georgia. And I guess her father worked in a church. Her mother was a homemaker and a seamstress. Alma was the oldest child with three younger sisters. And I thought it was kind of interesting. Her mother was a seamstress. I guess when she was first going to um, college, initially, she was thinking about going into costume design. I always like to see when those little threads come together, if I can belabor that that analogy. Right, and threads, yeah, in her art too, yes. Yeah, and so her family was well-respected within their uh, Georgia community. 
she grew up in like a nice Victorian home on a hill overlooking a town. I mean, it all just sounds like a wonderful environment growing up. And she was taking in just the natural beauty of the surroundings. I guess she really liked nature as a child. But then when she was around 15 years old, um, her her family moved to Washington, D.C. You know, the reason they moved to D.C. was it was, she had just graduated from ninth grade, I guess. And there were no she wasn't wouldn't be allowed to go to high school in Georgia. And so her family, the opportunities were in D.C. from so, what I understand. Wait, she couldn't go to high school? Was that? There, it was it was segregated. And I'm not clear on what the what the pathways were yeah. at that time. And so her parents um, wanted her to have more opportunities and they moved to D.C. OK, because because I had read about it as um, she had faced discrimination and I wasn't sure if it was racial or gender discrimination because we're talking about right. like early, early right. 20th century. It could have been either right. one. Right. Um but yeah, so so they they moved in order to get her more educational opportunities, which makes perfect sense. I would move to get my kids better educational opportunities, too. Right. Absolutely. She went on to attend Howard University in 1924. She was the first to graduate from their new art department. And I I always read that. And I just I don't know about you, but I wonder, like. So did they have a graduation ceremony with like one person? <laughs> right, right. I, <laughs> oh no, I, yeah. And she didn't, I love that she didn't start with that. She started with something else and I'm blanking on what she had started out um, studying. It was mathematics or architecture possibly. Uh, she was, I think she was, I've read costume design and, and then I've was, also read stuff about like economics maybe. Right. If I know she was correctly. doing mechanical drawing at one point, but somebody got her in and geared her toward art. And I love, you know, how people make impacts in our life. And then she became the only person to, to, to graduate that year or the first, the first. Yeah. I, it's funny. She was kind of steered into that art department. I wonder if they were just like, we don't have anybody to graduate from this art <laughs> department. We need you to do this. Right. But she was a woman of many firsts because she was not only the first to graduate uh, with a BFA from Howard University. When she was 80 years old, 1972, she was the first African-American woman to have a solo show at the Whitney Museum of American Art. So like she was just a trailblazer throughout her entire life. Absolutely. Yeah, very inspiring figure. And so then after, after she graduated from Howard, I think she went to Pennsylvania for like a teacher's educational um, program to round out her education, to prepare her to be a teacher because she worked for 35 years teaching arts to junior high students, no less. I mean, that as art teaching gigs go, like that's what I would always consider to be the hardest. Right, right. Did you hear anything? Did she teach math initially and then teach art? I I feel like in my early research, I read somewhere and I can't find it again that she had taught math. And I'm I keep going back to the math. I've 
I've read different things about what she was doing in her teaching career. Primarily, she was, I believe, teaching junior high. I have read early on in her 20s, she was teaching kindergarten for some period. Right. And I have seen something, uh, I have seen something about math, but I don't have a source on that that I can, I don't feel confident in my assertions about that. Right. Right. Like it would not at all, it would not at all surprise me because this is ringing a bell, but I don't have like multiple sort reliable sources that I can, I can cite on that. I know she was in the same classroom for 35 years is one thing, one thing, one quote that she talked about. Um, As an art teacher, that would be a great thing to not have to move all of your stuff. Like many art teachers now. Oh Um, yeah. Yeah. She the pictures are amazing with what she did. And I think she started teaching sculpture with her students. It sounds like. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. She was getting into some of the ceramic sculpture right. and all of that. Right. Would have loved yeah. to meet her. Oh, I know. And I, I, I love the way that she talks about her career and her art and her inspiration. You know, a lot of, a lot of artists, I don't know what it is. They just seem to have this beautiful way of talking about their work. Uh, one of the, the greatest quotes I've seen from a 1970 interview, she said, creative art is for all time and is therefore independent of time. It is of all ages of every land. And I just think like that is such a beautiful guiding principle. And that gives me such insight into why she was making work the way that she was. You know, at first glance, her work that she's best known for it. it, it, It's almost like a mosaic of colorful splashes, you know, somewhat impressionistic, except it becomes much more abstracted than like what Monet and everyone else from that movement was doing. Right. And I think it's because she's simplifying things to a way that it does become timeless. It does become universal. And I think that's just such a nice way of talking about and thinking about and conceiving of your art. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there is some quote when she discovered the art room, she said something like she entered the classroom and felt like she was in heaven and that, that, that carried through in all of her, you know, her understanding of wanting to make something beautiful and timeless and for people to look at. Um, Yeah. She had a, wonderful spirit it seems like yeah and and as we were talking about like you know in her art room we've already mentioned the fact that she spent 35 years teaching art and what the accounts i've read indicate that she was kind of using that teaching career to support herself so that she could be making the art that she wanted to make on her own she was a working teaching artist. Um, She was still continuing to pursue the arts throughout her educational career. And she was educating herself as well. I think she went on to get a master's from Columbia University. And she continued studying and exhibiting throughout that career. Early on, I believe her work was a little bit more sort of naturalistic, a little bit more representational. And it was From what I understand, one of the big turning points was 1966, Howard University offered to put on a retrospective show of her work. 
she had actually been considering giving up painting because of the arthritis pain. I mean, 19, she was born in 1891. So she's like in her 70s at this point. And it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. I mean, a solo show, that's what that's what every artist dreams of. Right. And and especially like at your alma mater, like how validating would that be? Right. Right. Yeah. So she looks out her window and she's struck by the color and she watches the sunlight shifting the colors on the trees and the flowers in her garden. And that's where she starts to become much more expressionistic and a little bit more abstract in her style. And this later period of her life is where we see her develop that style that she is really known for today that has resonated with so many people. That was an interesting thing for me um, that the arthritis, she had, she could no longer do some of the stuff that she had been doing. And so this was a way for her to, she, she found ways to express and it's um, the arthritis kind of created like a, um, an obstacle that then from that, it reminds me that embrace the shake thing, you know, find out what does work. And, you know, like, and she, she was doing that long before, you know, I love that. I love that name dropping uh, the embrace the shake from uh, Phil Hansen, the artist who had a disability, a tremor that he had developed in, while he was doing pointillist style work. And he just leaned into that and developed a whole new style embracing that. And she, you know, is another one of those examples of the paradox of how limitations can be some ways freeing. And I also love the idea that she just kept going, the persistence, like I get, I, I, I am not in my seventies. I get home from a day in a, by teaching standards, very cushy gig. Right. Um, and I'm exhausted <laughs> and I don't know how she like basically built a prominent career when everyone else is done, when everyone else is retiring, right. she like just kept going just for the sake of doing it because you know, at a certain point, she didn't need the money anymore. She had the stature and she's, she was still giving back to others. She was still helping to contribute to the art scene and the art education scene, even after she was retired from her position as a, a teacher. And I, I just find that so beautiful and so inspiring. And so I guess with that, that idea of her having a professional second act, if you will, I think it seems like a good natural transition. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts. We'll start talking about resurrection. This is an acrylic on canvas painting from 1966. I I always want to give the guests a chance. What are you seeing here? What what's jumping out at you? The first time I ever saw this, I thought it was I I saw a well. I always the with the blue at the bottom, I always thought it was water at the bottom. And the more I've learned about her, I see a lot of like threads and fabric. I know mosaic is a lot talked a lot about it, but I I picture like a close-up of of fabric and those white parts are like the the weaving part. So I, I've started to see that, but there's so much burst happening, um, with that, those concentric circles. So I just, it's just happy. Um, but the well, I still see the well because that's the first thing I ever saw. Um, and the title resurrection, I couldn't find a ton about it, but I mean, like, or, you know, that she had written about why she named it resurrection. Uh, but see, but just, just talking about seeing, I still see a well. That's my initial. And then the threads. And that, that's interesting because I, I never saw it that way, but it, it makes perfect sense for the blues to be receding and the concentric circles to seem like they're going further into space. I always saw this. I always saw this with the, the light burst sort of thing. And even though it's like blue rings in the middle and, and everything like that, I, I, I still, I, I always saw this almost like a sun or something like that, you know, like the eye in the sky, like it's just bright, radiant force. Right. And it, it seems happy to me. And I think partially that for, that might be because I guess I should get into just the, the bare bones, like, description of literally right. what are we seeing here the composition is concentric circles um, made out of different bands of colors we see yellow on the outside then it goes into orange and then red and then sort of magenta into um into the blues and green and then yellow again in the center um and it is a square composition and the circles are centered in that composition and it's all made of these individual brush strokes that make almost like a mosaic type of pattern. Although, as you say, the the threads connection, I can I can completely see and understand that. I also was not able to find her her talking about why she named it resurrection. For me, it seemed like, and again, maybe this is just my my drawing conclusions um, based on inferences from what I've seen and just culture. I think of, you know, when I hear resurrection, having grown up in Catholic schools, 
I, my, my first thought is of, you know, the religious significance of Jesus resurrected and, um, and knowing that she was raised in a family where her father worked in the church. Um, and this was at a time when she was kind of thinking of getting out of painting. And then she's offered this solo show and she's refocusing on nature and developing a new style. To me, resurrection just seems like it's, it's this rebirth and reinvigorated in her career and in her painting and her outlook. Um, but maybe that's just because I, I like to, I like to find the happy connection. Right. Yeah. That That's not, I, I'd love to see that more throughout, you know, in, in any research, the, the explanation of it to make sure that that's what it was, but it seems like that does make sense. Like that there's, it's not an end. I love that. What you talked about with she's starting basically a new chapter and she sees it as a, a new life. It makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Yeah. I have absolutely nothing to back it up. I'm just, no, I, I just always feel free to wildly speculate because she's not here to correct me. Right. So come at me on Twitter right. or whatever. Right. <laughs> and it's when somebody comes out with the biography, then, you know, then we can find out for sure. I'm sure. Somebody knows, but it does see, I mean, it, it makes sense that burst a new, a new, first and she kept saying there was something about she kept saying like absolutely this needs to get done or something like there was some something she would repeat absolutely like I need to do this I need to complete when she was asked to do to do the retrospective yeah that was her like trying to fill in a blank and so this seems I do you know if this was like toward the beginning of her starting to do this style or when this, did she start more with the the vertical lines? This was, I believe, around the the time of the shift in her style. And this was this I picked this one because she was offered that Howard University retrospective in 1966, the same year that this piece was painted. Oh, okay. So toward the beginning. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. I also, you know point of personal privilege I picked it just because I like it just because I look at this and the colors are so saturated I mean these are like pure hues it's it's not muted at all by like mixing in other other colors like it is just like a pure yellow and orange and red like it it feels like cadmium colors ready to like just burst off of there and it just makes me, it feels warm and happy. Yes. And, and I feel like, you know, that it's the kind of thing that just makes me smile when I look at it. So that was also part of why I picked it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, that's, I, I love, um, I love that it hung in the white house. They said that that's, you know, one of the things that they put in the dining room um, to, to add to the white house collection and it, it just seems like a, it would be a great, a great piece to see every day to bring light and burst. I, yeah, the color is very, very amazing. And having taught elementary school, when I first saw this ever, to me, it, I understand how something can look simple, but it's, when you do it, 
it, and you find out that it's not this, you know, like you can assume something until you actually try it. And this to me at first looked very simple, but there is a calculation in it. And, you know, she was careful in, in the distance and the, that small white line in between each, uh, the outline without having outlined it. I'd love to see it from really far away to see if it does like the, the pointillism effect. Mm-hmm. I think you make a really good point about how it's deceptively simple because especially a simple design needs to be lawlessly executed for it to actually work, for it to actually come together. And her balance of the colors in not just the color that she's painting, but the color she's allowing to show through on the canvas, it's the positive and the negative space, that interplay of colors, that's crucial. Um, And I think we talked about that, the fact that it seems to have this radiating effect. Like when I am, when I squint or from a distance, the little white spaces, especially around that exterior yellow, that really, that really does something for my eye because it's so sort of low contrast. My eye is, it's, it's almost like an op art shimmery type of effect. Um, And normally when I'm talking about op art, I would be talking about like complementary colors juxtaposed or put together. But in you can also have some interesting things happening as your your eye is trying to differentiate these lower contrast things happening, where it's that white and yellow kind of coming together. It almost creates that sort of like corona effect. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm just noticing that those two out the two more orange, are those two different? Is it the more I look at it, is it it just looks and and that's one of those things that you know you you would almost have to digitally sample to to determine with certainty, but it looks to me like each of those bands starting in the orange is a slightly different shade. Um, and it could be the effect of um, the way that our eye perceives color in relation to its surroundings, where that outer orange band has yellow and then a different orange next to it. But if you look very carefully, it looks like two red bands there. And those look slightly different to me as well. Right. And the blues look slightly different. I, 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 I think it's actually just slight differences. And that subtle shift, I think, is like I said, the simple design needs to be flawlessly executed for it to work. Yes. And the more you look at these things, the more of those those aspects you start to notice and appreciate. Just like just like I look at it and I, I think like it's actually as much as we think like circles upon circles seems so simple. Right. It's it's a very sophisticated way of looking at work when we start to talk about, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of semiotics. I'm a huge, huge fan of Keith Haring and I love simplicity in a design because to me, stripping away detail makes it more open-ended for everybody to connect to. And as I said, there was that beautiful quote, she talked about how art is for all people of all lands 
and to let to put her words into here because I cannot speak about this better than she can. The quote that resonated with me was she talked about the use of color in my paintings is of paramount importance to me. Through color, I have sought to concentrate on beauty and happiness rather than on man's inhumanity to man. And like this piece to me, it just radiates beauty and happiness. And I I like that it has that ripple effect of like, you know, the way a stone dropped in the water ripples out. And I feel like it's that warmth radiating out. Right. Um, Or the well analogy you now, now it's given that now it's given that tunnel look. Right. Now, as I'm looking at it, I, said, and, I just want to dive into it right now. <laughs> like, yeah. Look and, really closely. And again, that's that kind of thing that you get because it's a close cropped image that creates this figure ground ambiguity. Um, in some ways, it's almost like there is no positive and negative space. It's all these bands of roughly equal weight here. Right. All the same sort of contrast. Yeah, I just keep seeing more. I had never thought I've always seen just two orange, two red. And then now I am definitely seeing her color theory was pretty amazing. Uh, she and she was part of the color field group or was she inspired by them? I wasn't clear. She was definitely contemporary with them and learning from them learning alongside of them and I think to some extent inspired by that work but I don't think she was strictly although I I don't know I I don't I don't know who was hanging out with whom and and I don't think anybody was like a card-carrying member of an artist group like I I feel like that's just something that for the most part like people look back and create these associations of movements just to just to organize and categorize things for convenience of talking about it. But I, I always feel like it's it's always a lot muddier than that. Right. Oh, but her colors were not muddy. Her colors were no, no. I mean, yeah, that and her her use of color definitely didn't make sense now now that I'm looking closer I'm kind of stunned right now yeah her color makes sense and then at the same time there's this little bit of like this push pull like I think of like Hans Hoffman type of thing where like you know some of the some of the blue feels like it's coming out and but it should be receding and you know I can look at it in different ways like I said there's this little bit of tension almost figure ground play that that I see in her work that I find really interesting oh yeah I I agree I agree I think I'm gonna have to introduce a lesson yeah inspired by Alma Thomas color theory expressive qualities there's a lot you can you can tap into there just I love that she loved beauty and shared it with the world and I think we could all use more of that. I think that's why it seems so appropriate that it hung in the White House for a while, you know? Yes. yes. We yeah. need beauty in those ugly places. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> that is so true. Is somebody, uh, oh, yeah. can I make a side note? I'm so yeah. sorry. 
Somebody was saying that they the White House bought it for three hundred thousand dollars, but they think today it would be worth two million, and that was only what like seven years ago or something like that. Like it, the value that sounds just since you know that sounds that sounds totally plausible to me. I don't know those numbers, right? But that that uh, that scale of appreciation seems about right, just because of the way the art market is, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wrapping it up. I want just a three point rating scale. And where should this hang? The Louvre? Is this something to look at? The lab? Is this something to learn from? Or the Louvre? British for the bathroom. Yeah. There's a joke in there somewhere. Oh, that's terrible. In in her, in honor of her, I would say to look at. So that would be the Louvre, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think she, you know, it's a, she said, you know, I, I wanted something beautiful that you could sit and look at. And I kind of feel like that's what she was going for. Although the lab, like we just, you know, we're breaking it down. So um, learning from it, I don't know, do we honor her or do we put it in the lab and <laughs> break it down? I think you could do, I think we could do a little bit of both. We don't have to be strict on this. Right. Okay. I'm just trying to, I, I'm just trying to figure out where, where we sit with the piece. And I, I think you're right. I think, I think a strong argument could be made for both because this does feel like, this does feel in some ways like a color study, you know, almost like taking Surratt's ideas about divisionism to like the logical conclusion but I think for me, I, I like you end up putting this in the museum just because this feels like something to look at and to appreciate. And it can be appreciated on several different levels. You know, the, the formalist in me is looking at the, the compositional elements and the structure to it and the way that she's mixing the cup or not mixing the colors. She's juxtaposing the colors putting them side by side and the effects of that but i also just think it taps into something and resonates just on an unconscious level and i it, it gets it gets you to feel something for a moment before you've even really processed it mentally and i think i think that's beautiful and i think we need more of that yes more of that more of that Yes. Yeah. So thank you very much for giving up more of your time to, to thank come you. with me. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and I appreciate everything you do for the art world right now, you know, sharing art history and a love of art history and making it accessible for our students. And you know, it's I'm very grateful. So thank you. Well, I'm, I am grateful for you taking the time to um, use my podcast in your classroom. <laughs> that was awesome yes. and very surreal to actually like make a connection and hear that someone else was listening to, to the stuff we've done. And then also taking the time to join me on the podcast and, and bring all that together. So thank you very much. Thank you. Love, gotta love art teachers. <laughs> gotta love art teachers. Always willing to, to help out with whatever is needed. Yes. Thank, Thank you. you.